0: Some days I don't really want to get paired with a random person. I, I'll be admit it. Maybe I'm not, the, <laughs> maybe I'm not the friendliest. But I think sometimes you just don't, you just don't want to, right? You're yeah. a little scared, and especially as a woman, I think there is kind of a, a fear of who am I going to be paired with today. And when I was in high school, you know, I used to get dropped off at the golf course and go find a group, and I was playing with older men all the time. And I'm, I just, sometimes I just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And I think that's okay, too, right? It's okay to know, like, that's just not the vibe that I want today. So maybe that's just a driving range day, and that's okay.
1: There's another side to good health, and that's good mental
2: health. Hey, y'all, it's Brad. Welcome back to The Couch. This week, we've got ESPN's Charlotte Gibson, With a focus on golf, mental health, and women in sports, Charlotte has been telling as-told-to essays for ESPN's Digital Storytelling Group and ESPNW. In this conversation, we talk about how she's training for a freaking marathon, her own experiences with anxiety and depression, and about how a round of golf with your boy might have changed some things. Two questions. Did you know that Charlotte was a graduate of UC Santa Cruz? And did you know that their mascot is the banana slug? Third question. Isn't that an uncommon mascot? Speaking of uncommon, are you using our balls yet? Right now, if you use GGT at checkout at uncommon.golf, you can get free shipping on your order. Now tap in with Charlotte.
3: Tap in with the shrinks. Hit them straight and mind your golf. As of yesterday, we announced that we're going to be releasing video versions of our podcasts as well um through patreon so you might be the the inaugural video
0: oh perfect oh good well i'm glad i look good then i I had to i had to for you guys i had to i'm like i had to for this crew
3: we appreciate you for joining us well thank Thank you for
0: having me thanks so much for inviting me i'm excited of course
3: this is i'm just now realizing this is actually the first time that uh, that we've spoken before. Have you have have you have any of you guys spoken together before?
0: Well, so Brad and I have played golf together. Oh. And yeah, we've played golf together. I think it gosh, it was probably in the summer. I think July. Yeah, June, yeah. July. And but I think this is the first time I'm speaking to Drew and Connor.
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure.
0: I know. This is exciting. I feel like we're long lost friends.
3: How are you? What What's what's like top of mind for you right now? How, yeah. how are you approaching this conversation?
0: Well, let's see. I think for me, you caught me two weeks from the New York City Marathon. So I have to be honest. I'm pretty tunnel vision right now for the race. And, um, you know, a huge part of why I'm doing the race is because of my mental health. Right. And so I think this conversation comes at a great time um, for me just to kind of talk about those motions of, you know, why I'm pushing myself to do something pretty crazy, Uh, like run 26.2 miles when I'm not a runner. Well, now I am. Now I'm definitely a runner, but was not a runner before. Um, And, you know, I just finished covering the ESPNW Summit. And worked with some amazing athletes telling their stories. Um, A lot of Olympians, Paralympians. So that's super top of mind for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I ran 16 miles yesterday. So if I'm a little tired, that's it. But I did have some coffee before this. So I was ready to go for you guys.
3: Is that the longest distance you have run before 16?
0: Yeah, 16 is the longest for me. So that was kind of crazy, right? And 16, it felt like, you know, the first three for me are always the hardest. I think that is Mm. just the total mental block for me. Right. The first mile I'm like, it, I'm like, why, when is my thing going to say mile one over, you know, like, I'm like, why is this taking so long? And then mile two, same thing, mile three. I'm like, Oh my gosh, why am I doing this? Once I get past that, then I hit like autopilot. And for me, that's, that's the ideal situation. Right. Mm. But yesterday it was like hotter than I expected. I'm super blessed. I run by the ocean. Doesn't really get much better than that uh, out in Ventura. But, you know, it was like the autopilot moment is what I strive for. Just kind of having nothing going on in between my ears. Um, I think a lot of people think, you know, with running like, oh, you have so much time to think about things. For me, if I'm thinking about things or working through scenarios in my mind, it's not going to be a great run. You know, these are like 16 mile runs are, you just are doing it, right? Like I'm doing this so that I can just shut out everything. That's kind of my goal here is just to realize like what I'm capable of. And the fact that everything I have is already in me, you know, to do this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the biggest learning lesson for me in this marathon journey, which has only been two and a half months. I've only been training for two and a half months, but it's been pretty much you know you have it in you it's just about proving to yourself and showing to yourself like you're capable girl yeah. like <laughs> girl you can do this <laughs> you know you know what you're doing mm-hmm. you just have to do it you know
3: is there another way that you can sort of characterize the the feeling of that experience
0: so for me i always like to think of it like if i can if I'm paying attention to the songs that I'm, that I have in my headphones, then I'm not on autopilot. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. like actually listening to the words and list and realizing what song I just heard, then I'm not on autopilot. It's when I'm totally just like, it's euphoric, right? It's, you're just going, uh, yeah. you're just going. And, and it just sounds like it's, it's just like, there's just noise. In the background, right? Kind of thing. And I think that's something that I strive because I always have so much going on in my head. It's Mm. nonstop chatter, right? And it's nonstop chatter between my own self-talk and then slacks Mm. and emails and text messages and Instagram DMs and family and friends and dating. (laughs) You know, it's like Mm. all these things constantly going on. And I'm so type A, obviously. That's coming through a little bit. But, you know, for me, it's just about kind of having that quiet, like that complete quiet. So almost like a meditation. Right. Mm, I think perhaps that's the best way to describe it. And I've never been one to fully meditate more than five minutes. Um, You know, maybe do those headspace meditations, do a meditation here and there in a yoga class. But I think that's kind of what it is. That's the goal is to have like a complete meditative moment. Uh If that's even a thing, right?
2: I believe the term I'm familiar with is runner's high
3: is what you're describing.
0: Thank you. That is exactly it. I know. I wasn't sure if that was okay to say runner's high, but yeah, yeah. well,
3: there is (laughs) nothing off limits,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but Uh, I think that's it. Right. So you're right, Brad. That's exactly what I guess I'm explaining, right? Is that runner's mm -hmm. high? So
2: you, you've been training for two months, but Mm
0: -hmm.
2: how far into the training did you tap into that runner's high? Like how how long yeah. How many yeah. miles did you clock or log before right. like you were like, this is no longer painful. I'm just <laughs> present and gliding through the rest of my run.
0: So look, it's it's still painful, right? Like
2: <laughs> I think the it's still painful. The
0: <laughs> the 16 miles yesterday, I felt like, like I said, first three miles for me are always that's that's like chatter in my head. Those are mm. those first three miles, I'm like okay, shut it down. Like we're done. You know, like you, no more, no more thinking about what just happened on the car ride over here. No more thinking about what you have to do when you get home. No more thinking about, you know, Oh, you forgot to text so-and-so back or whatever it may be. Like those first three miles, it's like fine, get it all out, but we're done. We're shutting it down. And so yesterday, maybe between mile three and mile 12, that's when I had a good runner's high. And then I hit mile 12 and I was honestly super dehydrated. I didn't have enough water out there. And the moment I thought about that, even though I just had a few miles left, I was like, that's all I could think about. And then, you know, I, you start to get a little panicky and you're like, wait a <laughs> Oh my God, I oh, need water. No. So, but that's why you train, right? You train for those reasons. So I guess yeah. yesterday, you know, maybe nine miles I had that runner's high. That's pretty <laughs> good for me, but I don't think I fully achieved that until I ran my first half marathon, which was probably now a month ago. Um, so I had to run 13 miles for a long run and decided to sign up for a Santa Monica half marathon. And it was just a super small one. And honestly, the people that were running it were like, really good runners. You know, wow. they're just like the people that do it every weekend. And I'm an athlete, right? I always have been that doesn't leave you just because you're not on a team sport anymore, just because you're not playing for Mm -hmm. school or you're not professional or whatever it may be. I'm, I have an athlete's mentality. So once I got in that space, then Mm -hmm. I just wanted to keep up with everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, so that was it. It was just like, like I said, put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's when Brad, I finally felt like, ah, I get this now. Okay. That felt really good. That felt really, really good. Cause it was hard. Before when you just are doing these training runs and you know, I've been super lucky. My mom has been training with me, or at least running some of the miles with me and uh kind of joining me on these longer runs, at least like joining me for the you know, start and finish. And that's great. But once I start running, I'm by myself, right? And mm-hmm. so, ultimate
2: moral support right there. I love ex- that. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. great? Yeah. I know.
0: Yeah, she's my rock for sure during all of this.
2: When you like venture out to run, you're by yourself. Um, But you talked about, you know, not playing for team, not playing for school, not playing for score. So two questions at the half, were you like, did you have a time in mind or did you have a place in mind? And Connor, Drew and I talk often about how we rarely keep score anymore as golfers, former... uh, (laughs) I was about to say professional. Professional. (laughs) I'm competitive. Professional
3: amateurs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Former competitive golfers that don't keep score anymore. Uh, Is there any crossover there?
0: Well, look, you know, I'm like you guys. I hate to keep score when I'm on the golf course. (laughs) I think it's actually like the worst thing for my mental game. And, (laughs) you know, I went into this marathon training with the notion of, I just want to finish, right. I just want to cross the finish line. I want to stick with the training. Um, I want a routine, right. That's really why I kind of got started. I mean, there's many, there's a few different layers for why I'm doing this marathon, but one of them was I was in a super bad depression this summer. Couldn't seem to really get out of this place of, you know, and, and look, I think a lot of us were kind of in, A darker place after being in this pandemic for so long and going through the motions. And I finally felt like I was in a much better space. And then it just kind of hit me like it does, right? This depression kind of comes out of left field. It hits me, I feel like, okay, I need something to get me back to a place of routine and feeling motivated to do something. I felt like I was just kind of stuck with work, stuck with everything, not really happy with any aspect of my life. And you know, and that sounds pretty dramatic, but I think that's kind of where I was. And the opportunity to run the New York City Marathon came about because I've written about the New York City Marathon for the last five years for ESPN. Mm. And I have a close relationship with the New York Roadrunners, the people who put on the that's race. Amazing. And they said, if you want to run it, you know, we were in a brainstorm meeting about what stories we we're going to tell. If you want to run it, you're in. Um, wow. And two years ago, i it's so amazing. Right. And like, who gets that opportunity to just be like, Do you want to run this marathon major? And I had to think about it, but I kind of already knew I wanted to do it. I knew this last year. Um, I knew it after I wrote my feature story on the last place finishers of the New York City Marathon. So, literally, the people that finished last. And I just saw the strength and the mental toughness that they have. And I don't necessarily love the term mental toughness, but Hmm. I think. In this regard, it really is the perfect term, Um, you know, so I just saw what these people put their bodies through, but more importantly, what they put their minds through and they did anything to finish this race and cross the finish line. It didn't matter if there's only a hundred people cheering them on at the end or 50 people cheering them on. Didn't matter that they shut down the city and now the city was back open again, you know, and they're running on the sidewalk, not the streets like the other runners before them. So for me, I kind of had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to do this, but I think this summer really came to a head. So for me, it's just about finishing the race and not really so much about the time, but the athlete in me is, I know my time. (laughs) I know I have, I have the, you know, my training app tells me what pace I'm at. Um, after I did the half marathon, I did it way faster than I thought I would. And so my training app like updated and it was like, well, now your pace is, you know, one minute less than it was before. And like, now you're going to stick to that pace. And this last, you know, this last weekend for my long run, I had a great pace. And so it's kind of making me think, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe you're faster than you thought you were, which is great. You (laughs) You know, but I still, I still, for me, I think I'll probably finish in five hours. We'll see. I'm Mm -hmm. less worried about the timing necessarily. Um, So yes and Mm -hmm. no. Right. That's kind of a long winded answer to say, I don't care about my time, but I definitely know what my time (laughs) is. Just like my golf score. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, like like you said, though, I mean, like just finishing alone, especially after only embarking on this journey two months ago, is such an incredible challenge and a test of your will and determination. So, And I think running a marathon is, are one of the only things
2: that mental toughness can really apply. (laughs) Like,
0: Right. I do too. I do too. Right. Cause that's such a, it's, that's is such a term that's like full of stigmas, right? It's like, we don't always yeah. have to be tough, Yeah. but when you're running 26.2 miles or even 16 or 10 or 13, whatever, even There's three no
3: dodging, like that's toughness, right? That's toughness. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you described your, um, your period of depression this summer, uh, and running as like a means of helping you get up every day mm-hmm. and like accomplishing something. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit about like that transition and maybe like what the first experience running felt like for you mentally and physically, I guess, as well?
0: Yeah. So, you know, for me, I've dealt with depression, episodic depression for many, many years. And Mm -hmm. part of the reason why I returned home to L.A., I know Brad knows a little bit about this story, but I returned home to L.A. at the beginning of the pandemic, like three months into the pandemic, because I was fell into another deep depression. Mm. But again, like so many of us, right, we were stuck in our houses and, you know, it was hard. And I was in a one bedroom apartment in central Connecticut, right? So I didn't have my family around. I didn't have, you know, my friends, we were all kind of isolating and like everyone else. And so for me, I think I thought I was in such a better place because I'd been so happy being at home in LA and you know, I felt like my depressive episodes weren't happening as frequently as they were when I was in Connecticut. Right. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in this great place. I'm really like, wow, this is this is what it feels like to not be depressed. Like, this is so nice, you know. And then this summer, it just kind of hit me. And, you know, those feelings of not wanting to get out of bed or not feeling just not feeling anything towards Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, it is. I mean, your passions, uh, what drives you? I didn't feel like I had a driving force. I wasn't really sure if I was on the right path. Um, You know, I was kind of, I think, being super critical about living at home (laughs) again as a grown adult, Um, you know, and just that self-talk was bad. Right. But really Mm -hmm. just not wanting to kind of get out of bed. And I do work yeah. East Coast hours. So I don't really have a choice, right? Like it's 630. Mm. And I'm I'm logging on. And I think that also adds to it. um, Because I got to be on right away. I don't really have that time. So I think for me, starting the marathon training, the first time that I just needed to go for a run. And again, I'm super grateful. I have my mom here mm. who's like, Okay. And mind you, backstory, she was a personal trainer when I was growing up. So she has that in her. She loves to do that. But she was great because there was one night I just was in a mood and I, mine like depression, and anxiety kind of go hand in hand. Right. So if I know my anxiety is super high, I know probably a depressive episode is going to follow. And that's just how it is for me. And I just was in this really agitated state and nothing was going right. Right. Like I was just like, Oh my gosh, I can't. I just couldn't get a hold of my emotions. And I was just feeling agitated. And then I was feeling mad at myself because I hadn't started my marathon training yet. And I had Mm. agreed to do this and what is going on? You know, again, just that negative self-talk. And so the first time my mom, it was like a Wednesday night and she's like, you need to just go run three miles. Like, just go, just go put on your clothes and go, go run. And that's all it took. I mean, really, and it's kind of silly to say that's all it took because the lead up to that was kind of crazy, but that's really all it took. It was just like, just go, go put on your running shorts, go grab your headphones and go run down the street. And then keep running for a little bit and then come back <laughs> and like see how. It, and then I felt so much better. It felt like a weight had been lifted, right? So maybe it was at that time when I did feel that like runner's high almost, but it did feel like a weight was lifted. And I think that's what I'm feeling every single time I run. A weight is being lifted from me. And it's almost like the weight of the pressures that I put on myself and the negative self talk and all of those things just kind of evaporate, you know? And once mm-hmm. I'm done, I feel like I've been successful at something and I think that's really powerful, you know, no matter if it was a yeah. great run or not and I've had really bad training runs and I get really upset with myself and then I have to remind myself like you did it though. You did mm. it. Yeah. You walked a little bit more than you wanted to, but you finished. And yeah. that's what, that was your goal all along, just to finish and do something.
3: I imagine that that posed a, a fairly significant risk to your mental health with, of setting this goal to, to, to do this thing. And if you hadn't gone out there and done that first run or the second run or the third run or every single one that's come after that, that's that's a risk to be like, I failed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that induces more negative cell talk, right? So
0: absolutely. That's a lofty absolutely.
3: goal to have set for yourself.
0: It is. And I think part of why I, you know, was ready to take on this challenge is because I had been thinking about doing this race for a little over a year, you know, maybe even Mm. two years, like I said, and I did want to do it last year, but it was a virtual race. And I thought, okay, that's too much for me. I don't want to do a virtual race for my first marathon. Um, but really the, you know, the whole backstory, which I am thinking I might write about, we don't know, I'm going to kind of see how I feel post run Mm. is, you know, I experienced a traumatic incident in college And I wanted to kind of show myself 10 years removed from that situation. Look how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of when I look at the arc of why I'm doing this, that's what motivates me, right? Like you are such a different woman today than you were 10 years ago. And you hold so much more power than you realize. No one can take that power away from you. So that's for me, that's the arc that brings me back to okay, this is why you're doing it. And wow. Yeah. You put a lot of pressure on yourself and all of that, but like, look at the woman you are today and look at everything you've been able to achieve despite what has happened to you, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. there's so much power in just that knowledge of that and whether or not, you know, people know my story or they don't, that's okay. I know my story and I know how far I've come. And I, I think it's important to remind yourself of how far you've come. So that's kind of part of it too. Like I'm not, I'm not letting myself down at all because just me doing those first few runs that was already successful for Mm. enough for me, you know, just to sign up, just to speak it into existence. Right. I'm like, I think once you tell people too, that's why people might find me annoying on Instagram that I talk about this run all the time in the marathon. But once I speak it into existence, it's like, it's out there. You can't take that back (laughs) now. You know, it does. It It totally does. Because now everyone on November 7th, they're going to be like, okay, right? is she there?
1: Is she doing it? I see no IG stories. (laughs) We're huge believers of speaking things into existence on group golf therapy. So yeah, we got you.
0: Good. I love that. I love that I'm not alone in that speaking into existence for all aspects of life, not just running, I promise. Right, right.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about the ESPNW Summit? what was that experience like you you held kind of a a big title at this event
0: yes thank you so much for asking because i feel like i'm still i'm still processing it myself <laughs> but it was the first time that i was able to go to the ESPN W summit and look it was a pretty intimate experience because of the pandemic there weren't as many people there in attendance but it was um it was really just amazing To be in a room, well, we were actually outside. (laughs) We were outside at Torrey Pines. We were in this beautiful location. But to be with some of the biggest, uh, you know, game changers in the industry, to be with agents, to be with owners, uh, you know, executives, just people, women, who are really changing the way that we look at sports, changing the way that we consume sports, changing the way that we play sports. I mean, I think that was huge. Um, I got to meet the new LPGA commissioner, something that I've been wanting to do and just have a chat with her, Molly. And, you know, that was so big. Um, And I think for me, it was just a moment of reflection, right? When I ended it, I thought, oh, wow, I've been working at ESPN for six years and now I get to be at this summit. And I wrote, you know, I think it was five or four stories (laughs) that were summit related, all connected Mm -hmm. to. Uh, Team Toyota athletes. Team Toyota is a sponsor of ours, um, and so we work hand in hand with them on delivering some content. Uh, they don't have any editorial control over it, but we work with them on content. And you know, I think for me, it just was one of those moments, another moment, and and perhaps that was selfish of me to kind of take away from this huge event. But I thought, wow, I got to be there and be viewed as you know someone in the industry, just like the rest of them. You know, yeah. people knew like to have. Mm -hmm. women from the NBA players association come up to me and go, Oh, I've read your stuff. Like, I know your name, Charlotte, like that's so cool. And I think sometimes when you're in the moment, you can forget that what you're doing is impactful and what you're doing is memorable. Um, you know, maybe I'm not telling the biggest stories every single day, but the stories that I tell, I believe really do matter. And Mm -hmm. I think if you look back at golf in particular at ESPN and women's golf a few years ago, there wasn't really a presence and Mm -hmm. now there is a presence of women's golf at ESPN. Is it small still? Yes, absolutely. But is there a presence? Yes, there's a presence. Is there a presence of, you know, essays that we're telling the Madeline Sagstrom essay, uh, Mariah Stackhouse, Tanika Sandiford, you Mm -hmm. know, we're, we're telling really amazing, powerful stories, um, that are coming from women in sports. And I think that's just a goal of mine to amplify and elevate women's voices. And so that was for me, the moment at the summit where I was like, wow, okay, I'm here. Like I deserve to be here Mm -hmm. just like these women, you know, that was cool. And Like
3: you said as well, like it's not, yeah, maybe those stories right now in this current moment aren't getting as many clicks as the, you know, the, the Falcons Patriots game score highlights recap, right. But, but they're important and it's important. It's incredibly important that an institution, a legacy institution like ESPN is backing you and backing those types of stories into existence, um, because they're important. And we've talked a lot about how representation matters, um, both, you know, in, in the economic side of things on, in, in professional sports, but in media and in storytelling and to have a story like Mariah Stackhouse's featured on ESPN.com is remarkable. Um, because five, ten years ago, it probably wouldn't be, right? right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um thank you. And and look, it's not easy, right? Like your pulse yeah. on that is totally accurate. It's not easy to say, you know, hey, not just one Mariah Stackhouse story, but we've done a few now. And You know, Mariah is an easier sell there because Mariah is such a, you know, she's a big name. But like a Tanika Sandiford story, that Mm -hmm. was a harder sell, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah. And that was a harder sell just because it's like, who? What? And Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing, right? You have to, I'm not so much convincing my bosses because we're storytellers. We want to tell the best stories, right? That's what we're in the business of. So bring us a good story and let's tell it. Um, And, you know, you just have to have the right pitch to them, which that's why, you know, I went to school for that. Right. (laughs) Right. So I learned that. (laughs) But you have to have the right pitch. But it's about convincing the I'm going to say man, because more than likely it's a man who goes to ESPN.com to read about Tom Brady, convincing him to click on (laughs) the Mariah Stackhouse story, convincing him to click on the Madeline Sagstrom story. Okay, is he going to click on those stories? Maybe, maybe not. But that's where it's also about convincing my colleagues to have it high up on the page, to send out a tweet, to send out an ESPN alert. And I've been super grateful that every single one of those stories we've gotten an ESPN alert sent out. So, you know, people are getting that on their phones and they're seeing it and then they're more likely to click on it. And I think that's huge, but not only that, you know, when we first told the Tanika story and the Mariah story, both of those actually, they got huge traction. And it was cool Mm -hmm. to see golf digest and golf.com, you know, do pull quotes on my my Mariah story. Like that's, you know, for me, I'm like, that's it. Like that's, that's exactly it. They're in the business of that's it. Like golf is their thing. And we had that first, the Tanika story that blew up. Everyone wanted a piece of that afterwards. And
2: they were like, who you know, leaked,
0: who leaked this story? Wait. Yeah. We, right. we didn't Scooped. have it first. Yeah. We didn't. <laughs> and it's like, well, and, and that's the thing, right? It's just like, op- open your eyes there. Right. Yeah. All of that was just because I was watching the US Women's Open and I thought, wait, who is Amy Olsen's caddy? Yes. You know, and you hear a little glimpse from the analysts mm-hmm. of right. her story. And then you go, Oh, I kind of want to know more about that. So let me find out. And for me, it (laughs)
3: hasn't been told by Golf.com or Golf Golf Digest yet.
0: (laughs) And so let me tell it. And then, you know, Golf Channel, I love my favorite thing is like, because I try to give credit where credit is due always, right? So Mm -hmm. if I read something first or I hear something like I would, I love to say, you know, I read this in the Washington Post, the New York Times, whatever. And I feel like with that story, it was just like forgotten that ESPN and we told it first. And it's like, well, you know what? That's okay. Cause I knew it. I knew it, but that's all right. We all knew it and Tanika knows it and you guys (laughs) knew it. (laughs) So it's good. But you know, that's why also for me, I think those as told to essays, I choose that format Mm. for those particular stories because I believe that you want to elevate and amplify the voices of the subject. It's not about me and i know that i am a white woman telling stories of women that i don't know i haven't lived their experiences right and so i want them to be in the driver's seat and right. i'm essentially acting as a ghostwriter and or as i like to say i'm kind of just putting together the puzzle pieces um we have just a really fruitful conversation for an hour two hours and then I just kind of put together the puzzle pieces, but Mm -hmm. that's why I choose that format. It's not because I'm not capable of writing long feature stories. It's because I want their voices to shine, not mine.
3: Yeah. It's, it's less of a like refraction through your experience and more authentic to, to their voices. And so I would certainly urge anyone listening to go read those stories, um, because they're powerful and they're in depth and, yeah significant and and i think you know in in the um in a lot of cases new groundbreaking so we'll we'll
1: we'll link those in
3: the in the show notes for
1: for today's episode yeah Yeah.
0: thank you that's huge and look it's not just in golf too we told the molly seidel story before anyone told that story and uh, we told that last year and molly was super vulnerable and raw and real. And then she went on to go win a bronze in Tokyo this summer Mm -hmm, in her mm -hmm. first Olympic marathon appearance. And, um, you know, for mental health, that one, I suggest anyone who wants to kind of learn a little bit more about what she's been through. Um, that's it. And look, those are, those are struggles. Like you guys know, you do a podcast about it to have people open up about some of their deepest, darkest moments. Um, that's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you just have to lead with empathy empathy is your your best friend in those moments. 100%.
3: Yeah. And you so in May, you led ESPN's coverage of Mental Health Awareness Month, right?
0: I did. Yes. Yeah.
3: What did that I mean, you shared a bit, obviously earlier about your own experience with your own mental health journey. What did that opportunity mean to you to to really take the carry the torch for ESPN again, for such a massive worldwide sports publication to, to lead that initiative?
0: So for me, it meant everything. It really just was like a huge honor. But I think it was also the result of being so open and vulnerable with my own mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that didn't happen overnight. Uh, That happened with a lot of like trust, and uh, just relationships among my colleagues and my higher ups and Then also just showing through my storytelling, like I'm very capable of telling these stories. And I think we should tell more of these stories. And in the pandemic, I think it was so important to tell stories about mental health. Um, It still is. Obviously, we're still in this pandemic. It's still top of mind for us. And so, you know, it was such a huge honor when I was asked to kind of lead that charge there. And Mm -hmm. then I thought it was a huge honor, but it was also It was a lot, right? It was a lot to kind of process and take in. And for me, I didn't want to tell the same mental health stories in sports that we've heard and seen before. I am so grateful for some of the athletes who are constantly talking about mental health. I'm so grateful for them. But they're not the only ones going through mental health struggles. They're not the only ones who have experienced depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, the list goes on and on and on. They're not the only ones, but media and mainstream media makes it feel like they're the only ones at times.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think when you kind of look at maybe not the top athletes, but you go, there are so many athletes underneath them who maybe aren't household names, who have these just as powerful and impactful stories. And so that's what I really wanted to look at. And I think, you know, my colleagues, did some amazing work on the Drew Robinson story. And so that really set the stage for the story that we wanted to tell because Drew Robinson necessarily wasn't one of those household names that you knew before, right? He wasn't a household name in MLB necessarily, but his vulnerability to tell his story of attempted suicide was something that, you know, Jeff Passan and just the E60 crew really told in such a incredible and beautiful way and the trust that they had with Drew to tell that story. And so that set the precedent for me, right? I wanted Drew's story because we had already told his story months before, but then we were retelling a new side of his story once he, you know, got onto a minor league team again and was starting to play baseball. So we were revisiting his story and I wanted that to really kind of set the tone for what mental health coverage would look like for us. And his thing is all about ending the stigma. And so I thought that was perfect as well. You know, I think we want to end the stigma. We don't want to just break down the stigma. We want to make sure that we're ending it and that, you know, people aren't using the language, which I hear far too often. And I'm sure you guys hear far too often mental health illness or mental illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or sickness and every time I hear mental problems and and even mental health struggles can can seem off sometimes. But, Mm -hmm. you know, mental illness that to me, I'm like, whoa, I try to shut that down anytime I hear that. That's just so not it. And, you know, I think you want the subject (laughs) to really explain what it is they're experiencing. Right. So if that's how someone's going to explain what they're experiencing, by all means, let them if that's how they feel about it. But that's kind of what I wanted the tone to be for that month. And I wanted it to really explore the notion of just all the the layers to mental health. Um, So Catherine Nye, who's an Olympic weightlifter, she won silver in Tokyo. But this was obviously a few months before Tokyo. She opened up about her bipolar 2 diagnosis. And I think that was really an important story to tell because, again, mainstream media and just mm-hmm. myself included, you know, we can get really stuck on mental health being depression and anxiety, and that's about mm-hmm. it. Yep. And I think that can be really detrimental um, to other people opening up about what they're experiencing when the emphasis is on those things. And I'm guilty of that myself, right? I experience depression and anxiety and OCD. I experience those main three that are talked about so often, but, you know, I, really wanted to allow Catherine to talk about her bipolar two diagnosis, to talk about how she went off her medicine during the pandemic. She wanted to know what it felt like. Those are moments that are so real and so important. Right. And and we don't really get to hear that a lot because I think, again, there's the stigma surrounding it. And so when I'm telling those stories or leading the charge for this, I think it was just as important for me to be honest about my journey with mental health. Yeah. More than anything, I was able to host a conversation with drew Robinson and, you know, we did a, a pre conversation and I expressed to him kind of what I had gone through and what I was going through. And, you know, you don't do it in a way because you're looking for sympathy. You do it in a way so that they understand you're empathetic to their story. Yeah
3: there's a shared language mm-hmm. yeah and shared relative shared experience yeah
0: right exactly so that meant everything to me but i think the real work happened after may right it's not just on me and my shoulders to keep telling these stories it's on all of my colleagues um and all journalists right all storytellers to not just turn a blind eye or not just go okay You know, Simone Biles talked about this again. Got to get on Simone Biles. Well, let's look at the other athletes, too, who maybe don't have the platform that Simone has. Let's look at them and and see what they're willing to share about their journey, you Mm -hmm. know, because they they have way less support, I'm imagining, and they might not feel heard or seen at all. So let's kind of go beyond those Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. And again, I'm so grateful for those big names speaking out on these issues and same with golf. You know, I think with golf it's such a mental game and I'm so glad that we're now talking about these conversations in the golf world, but yeah. I think the four of us here can attest to, you know, we've we've been focused on mental health in the golf world for a long time. Yeah. Before you know, it was
2: cool. Yeah. Before it was cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were depressed before it was a cool time. Okay. People, that was, yeah. I was crying on the golf course before it was cool. Okay. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah. So. Yeah. I was calling my mom from the third yeah. tee box before.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to see, uh, you know, Zen golf. I actually, so I was sent in high school. I was sent to go see Dr. Perrin, uh, Yo, the Zen golf creator. What? yeah Yeah, that's
1: insane yes that's awesome
0: I'll be honest I don't think I think I was like 16 15 16 years old and so at that point and you have to remember that's what two 7 we're not really even talking about mental health at that point right so we're not really talking about any of those things and we're just thinking like oh this girl's kind of a nutcase when she's on the course like she just oh look at her she doesn't (laughs) you know she can't she just falls apart at the end, and uh what's going on? And it's like I don't know. I'm a teenage girl. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, uh,
2: I don't know life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> life. Yeah. Like I don't know. I I wear my golf skirt and my retainer to school every day. I don't know.
3: Honestly, same, same. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. We we need the tea from that conversation. Yeah. So, like, what what well, what gosh. are some things that rise to the top for you?
0: So for me, the thing that always has stuck out. And still to this day, if I do it, I feel like I'm in a much better place, but your pre shot routine, Mm -hmm. that was huge. Mm -hmm. It's like chapter one in the book. That is chapter one. That is, I didn't even need to go to that lesson. Okay. I could have just opened up the book for that one, but I think for life in general, and you know, this could be just the total hippie writer in me, but golf for me has always been reflective of life, right? And so many different levels. And I always view it that way. And that's why I love the game so much. And I think routine is so important to me. And pre shot routine is so important to my golf game. And, you know, we kind of mastered what my pre shot routine would look like. And it's stepping behind the ball. And it's taking a swing, a practice swing. And it's, Looking and envisioning your shot and doing all those things and not taking so much time. I mean, this is not a long free shot routine. We're not trying to annoy your competitors and your playing partners, but you know, it's just kind of the stepping behind the ball and taking a deep breath, if anything. And there are times when I don't do that and I hit the ball fine, definitely. But there are other times when I 100% need to take that moment to take that breath, to take that step behind the ball. And so, I think that stuck out. Um, I don't know. I could probably ask my mom. She remembers more than I do. <laughs> I bet. But, you know, it was one of those things. It was like, what's going on with her game? She is one of the best hitters out there. And she has all this potential. But something happens in tournaments. And she gets mm-hmm. really nervous and an- anxious, you mm-hmm. know. But we didn't yeah. use that word. Like, we did not use or that it word. Or it was
2: used to, like, punch down.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly, like oh, she's just like nervous, Nelly out right. there.
2: Right, yeah. that was where I was going. Yeah. yeah. Go. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No,
2: that's wow. called, that's exactly. called
1: anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually didn't exist in two thousand eight, so that's that
3: was re- mm-hmm. recently invented, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah, anxiety was created in yeah. a lab in two thousand nine. Yeah. Actually, yeah. it really um, was. So, so how much how much of that stuff do you carry over now? Even not playing competitively, obviously, you played at UC Santa Cruz at a high level. Now, what would you say the mindset is approaching a round of golf just like on a casual given day with, with some friends?
0: Well, look, first and foremost, I want to say I had to take a break from the game after college. I took a serious break from the game. And I think for me, a storyline that I will stick to and say more often than not is I think when you are going through, uh, depressive episodes your hobbies and passions kind of dissipate and yeah. when i was in connecticut um starting off my career first of all i was very low level at espn i was not making that much money and the last thing i was doing was going out and playing golf um i also didn't have a golf community around me so i think that made it really difficult and i was struggling just in so many aspects of my life right so I did turn away from golf for a little bit. I needed that break. But I also just think in general, you know, people forget like when when you're kind of feeling sad or off, they're like, go do something that you enjoy. Well, if you're in that state, those things.
2: It's not that simple.
0: It's not that simple. Right. And so I had to take a break from golf for a while. And I had to also realize that I was no longer in that competitive space of golf. And so it's okay when I go out with, it was, you know, the men that I worked with, right? Which was also hard. I didn't have any women that I knew that I was playing with. And I've always, you know, played with guys and that's just kind of the nature of it. Now there are so many more women that play the sport at all different levels. But even when I started when I was 13, it was still predominantly men and um, boys, you know, like I was playing with a lot of like middle school, high school boys. And that's who was at the range. If I showed up at the range today, I'm sure it would be a lot more women, a lot more girls there than when I was growing up. But, you know, I think I struggled with going out with the guys that I worked with and seeing them drink and smoke and listen to music. And I struggled with that, right? Because I wasn't used to that atmosphere and that environment. And I didn't necessarily allow myself to just go with Mm -hmm. the flow, which (laughs) that's a hard thing for me in general in life. I love control. I love to control a situation. That's my Achilles heel, right? When you guys asked me, sent me over those pre-list questions, I'm like, yep, that's it. Control-free. You know, that's that's it. That's it. But, you know, I... Smoothest <laughs> transition
2: t- um, we've ever had on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, perfect, perfect. But, you know, for me, I just needed to be like, this is a sport that you... Once loved because at that point I didn't love it, right? In my kind of early mid 20s, I'm like, you once loved this sport. And then it was really returning back home to LA at the beginning of the pandemic. It's like, you are back home in Southern California. You have the best public courses all around you because I never grew up at a country club. I grew up in a single parent household. We, you know, didn't have the Mm -hmm. money to belong to a country club. That just wasn't why we Mm -hmm. got into the sport uh, or why I got into the sport. So you know, I grew up on public courses and we have some of the best of them out in Southern California. So I thought you're back home. And if you're not taking advantage of the fact that you live five minutes from the course you grew up on and you're not playing with some of the best, you know, there's like, like Brad is one of them, right? We connected on social media, obviously all of us connected on social media, but Brad's out here in LA and, you know, just realizing like there are some amazing people in the (laughs) golf community that are also like you, right? Who played competitively or who kind of just have all of these like life experiences that are similar to yours, or at least are willing to hear you out. But we just want to have fun on the course and we want to have a good time. But they also do take the game seriously because at the end of the day, I want to play good golf. (laughs) I (laughs) love to play good golf, right? And I know I'm capable of playing good golf. And I think that's hard part too of being a woman in this sport who isn't at the professional level and they're not at even the amateur level. You're just kind of at the fun Mm. level. Um you know I don't want to be a golf babe and (laughs) I get that asked that now more often than I thought I would. Mm. And it's like I don't want to be a golf babe. Um Mm. that's not it for me. I want to look cute in golf outfits and that's okay. (laughs) I want to look good, but I don't want to be seen or viewed as just an image mm. yeah. or a spectacle um mm. and i'm i'm i hope that those women understand what their purpose is and understand the power they have in influencing more women to the game because that's what's important for me you know i want to bring yeah. more women into the sport i want to bring more light into the sport and i'm not I'm less, <laughs> I, I care less despite what maybe my social media says or how people perceive my social media. Right. I care less about the male gaze <laughs> when it comes to my game. You know, I yeah. know I hit the ball far. I know I'm good at golf. I know I am, you know, <laughs> I know I am, but I also I know, know that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Right? I was going to say, For, I'm like, you so... I'm like, we do have a witness here and I'm getting yeah. even better. Right. This marathon training is actually helping my game, but. No, I feel like it's just the lighter that it becomes, the more that I'm just like, you love this sport and you love this sport because it's fun and it's freeing. And the driving range has become such a place of therapy for me to go there at night. And that's why, again, I'm so grateful I have a course that's five minutes from my house, not even, you know, three minutes (laughs) at that. And it has a great driving range that's lit up at night. Uh, You know, shout out to Westlake Golf Course. And I can just go there and hit a large bucket of balls put in my AirPods and swing and feel safe, number one, right? Yeah, yeah, there's there's always that creepy guy every once in a while, but feel safe and just hit some balls and let it all out. I mean, that's, that's my new form of therapy right now. That's what I'm kind of embracing with golf.
2: Hey, y'all, this is Brad. And Connor.
1: Andrew. We wanted to take a quick second, and thank you for listening.
2: It truly means a lot to us, and we want you to
3: know that you're loved and you're welcome to hear. And if you ever need a listening ear to vent or just to talk to somebody who cares, we want to remind you that group golf therapy is a safe space.
1: Our DMS are always open at group golf therapy
3: on Instagram, hit them straight and mind your golf. I I think we should get back to the, the golf babes thing in a second. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, um, I know that's like I'm, a
0: whole other podcast. It's a whole it like, it's a
3: vat of worms if we've been saying. Oh, vats. Um, a vat of worms, but, um, I'm curious, was there, so when you went back to LA and transitioned back into a a healthy relationship with golf, was there, was there a singular moment or day where you came home from playing golf and were like, I'm back in.
0: Well, look, I think, I mean, Brad, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think when we went out with Danilo and Lou and we went out to rustic Canyon, I think that was such a great time of, you know, for people who really enjoy the sport on a serious level, but also just want to go out and have fun. And I thought it was such a great experience to show, like, look at these four people who really didn't know each other before that. Right. Because I think we all just, you know, I knew Danilo a little bit through social media and we knew each other through social media, but. I thought what a beautiful moment to just capture a foursome out there, like playing at rustic Canyon, one of the best public courses out here. And it was just enjoyable. Right. And I think that was it for me. Um, Because before that, I mean, it's hard. You can't just go out and play by yourself anymore. You're always going to be paired up Mm -hmm. with a group. And I do still struggle with that. I think a lot of my kind of teenage, um, I don't want to say PTSD, but look, as a woman, it's not always enjoyable to be paired up with a group of men that you aren't familiar with. That is not always an enjoyable experience. And so, you know, I have definitely brought along my mom, my sister when she's in town, uh just to have someone there with me. And so, you know, that's why I was so grateful when Brad and Danilo and Lou and me we, we had this group together and it was a group of me and three men, but you know, it was just a positive space and it was a group of people who love the game and want to be better at the game, but who cares if, you know, yeah, miss hit a shot, but like, we also all know that, Oh, that kind of sucked a little bit, you know, when you miss it. Um, but there was some friendly, you know, just friendly competition out there and it was a great time. And I thought for me, that was like a really beautiful moment to see. There's some great people in the sport in the LA area. And I thought that was, you know, for me, that kind of helped me get back into it a little bit more because prior to that, I really was going out at random times and bringing along a friend Mm -hmm. who was not a golfer Mm -hmm. just because, yeah, I don't, some days I don't really want to get paired with a random person. I'll admit it. Maybe I'm not, (laughs) maybe I'm not the friendliest, but I think sometimes you just don't, you just don't want to, right? You're a little scared. And especially as a woman, I think there is kind of a, a fear of who am I going to be paired with today. And when I was in high school, you know, I used to get dropped off at the golf course and go find a group. And I was playing with older men all the time. And I'm I just, sometimes I just don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's okay too, right? It's okay to know, like, that's just not the vibe that I want today. So maybe that's just a driving range day and that's okay.
2: That's like, why yeah. we played, like, yeah. And you use the word. PTSD and I'm glad that you did because that's a very valid and legitimate feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. I, the closest I can relate is my experience in school as the only black one around. Like PTSD is a very real thing, especially in golf. And thank you for, for sharing your experience with that. And also let me just, I had no idea that our round of golf was that, <laughs> that it, impactful. It
0: was, yeah. It, really it was so was, much fun though.
2: Like we, <laughs> it you, was you said so it well, much like fun. we were, we all like-minded, you know, we were there because we really enjoy the game. We enjoy playing well, but like mostly for the vibes and yeah. they were plentiful on that day. It was gorgeous. Absolutely. Rustic is like you said, one of the best public tracks in LA. And I think what I, what I took from that day was like, cause I mean, the reputation looms large when you pull up to the golf course with a blue check, (laughs) let me just tell you, (laughs) Uh, but it was totally like the instant we shook hands, it was like, Oh no, we're, we, we, we're in this together. Like we F all the bullshit. Like Mm
0: -hmm. we're here
2: for the vibes and yes, to, to, to build absolutely. and grow like, this community of like-minded golfers.
0: Right. Um, right. Well, and, and I think that's the thing, right? You come in with a level of it's, it's the perception, right? People see the Instagram account and they're just thinking one thing. And I hope that when, you know, you met me, like you said, Brad, like the vibes were there and I just came off genuine. Right. And I was just very, excited to be there and to have this group and, You know, Danilo, who he's the he's the chain smokers photographer. I mean, you know, he also came in, like I had never played with him either. He was just a friend of a friend at that point. So I was like, what you always get nervous too, right? You kind of go back to those like kind of kid at a birthday party vibes. Like, is anyone gonna talk to me? (laughs) How is it gonna be? Like, is this gonna be cool? Are we all gonna get along? Like, I don't know, what's gonna go on here? And the best part is is that now I have a relationship with each one of you. You know, individually, and then as a group. But I think that was for me. Like I said, I think it was one of the best experiences I've had, especially in a non-competitive setting. For sure, that's
2: amazing. Wow,
1: great job, Brad. Yeah,
0: yeah, good, good job, one. Brad. Good one. <laughs> I,
1: I
2: I'll,
0: can I'll send. Those. I'll send you that Venmo later. I'll send you that. Venmo right, right.
1: Later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm. I'm really glad to know that that experience was so like a defining moment Um, because the three of us have spoken about our experiences with walking away from the sport and finding that spark again. Connor, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, what was that thing that brought you back? And sometimes it is just like giving in to the unknown and being like, all right, I'm gonna try this. And I tried it that day, you tried it that day didillo tried it olu tried it like mm-hmm. and we learned something about one another and that's that's the beautiful thing about golf um i still however don't i i won't uh avail myself for a random <laughs> group like that much like because no PTSD and i won't either showing up, let me tell you 100
0: <laughs> and and like i said with with men right like it it can be tricky and Mm. i'm a single woman too like i'm not you know so i also don't want people to be like oh my gosh here she is like trying to invite all these men and then what's she gonna do you know what's happening here uh i don't want to get like a reputation for that either but you know i also on the flip side like it's not that enjoyable for me anymore right sometimes it can be but anymore to go out with a group of men or women who are new to the game or who are more interested and in just taking photographs and videos, mm-hmm. that's not that enjoyable to me because yeah. I don't get out on the golf course that much. I have a full-time job. Yeah, I have a full life and you know, I work really crazy hours because I'm working East coast time. So like, yes, maybe I'm done by 3 PM, but that does not mean that I'm ready to go play a full round of golf by 3 PM. Um, but you know, I think that's the other thing. Like, I definitely want to lift up people in this sport, but that does not mean that all of my free time has to go to playing with women or men who are new to the game and aren't that interested. So... I think it's okay to be selective, right? Because because of all those yeah. years that we didn't have the ability to be selective, right. we were just placed with people. Or you're a girl, Charlotte. You're a cute girl. Go play with that other cute girl over there. You guys will have so much fun in your skirts. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I feel like you just described a lot of people in LA uh, or, or want to be uh, golf influencers. <laughs>
4: yeah. it's kind of a crazy yeah Yeah, i did right that
1: was kind of casual pictures for the gram that are new to golf (laughs) and look people try to get a book
0: exactly and if that serves a purpose a positive purpose then fine so be it but what i always like to say is like i do have i have a job i have a day job okay and I have played this sport since I was 13. <laughs> and for me, like I said, I think it's okay to be selective sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean that you are not being inclusive and amplifying people right. in the sport. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, you like, are allowed to say, my time is valuable 100%. too. 100%. So I'm sorry that I don't want to just go out there to take photos today.
3: <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> yeah and talk boundaries. about i mean like yeah. talk about self-care like setting boundaries and prioritizing your personal space yes. is like that's paramount mm. yes yes and Absolutely. you know and, and on the flip side of that too like and this is similar to the your goal of running the marathon like huge risk with regards to like playing yes. with a new group of people random group of people yes. huge risk if that if that doesn't pan out the way that you want it to like like both of y'all said Great. huge potential for uh, you know ptsd mm-hmm. and like further su- further harm um to be yeah. done on the flip side of that like the payoff is out can be outstanding right, yeah. right? and Absolutely. and i'm glad that you two had that experience together um that makes me really happy let's <laughs> run it back yeah
0: yeah we have to do we it almost again but did. that's it
3: like two we weeks ago did-
0: and and that's kind of the crazy part though, right? It's like people, we're busy. We have, mm. you know, a lot going on and golf is a long sport, right? Like yeah. we're out there for five hours yeah. and, and we don't have like a five iron golf situation out here in LA yet, which oh, I hope we do yet. one day yet, yeah.
4: yeah.
0: right? Yet, because that would be so easy for Brad and I to go, Hey, let's go grab a drink and swing some clubs. Right. Like, and let's just whatever. But I think that's kind of the hard part. It's like, Oh my gosh we played months and months ago. And yeah, of course I want to play again. And, um, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to play in a few charity tournaments lately and get invited out to those. And those have been really fun and scrambles are always a good time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got to play in Palm Springs when I went there for a wedding recently. Like, you know, I mean, those are just kind of making time for the sport that I love, but it's hard to kind of schedule in those tea times, especially in LA. Tea times are hard to come by these days. (sighs)
2: That's why you gotta know people. That's why you gotta. Know you gotta people. know
0: people. You gotta know people, and you have to. You know, I hope my bosses aren't listening to this part. You gotta learn to navigate your time well during the week days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it. You <laughs> heard it
3: here. I'll
0: leave it at that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I want to hear you expound a little bit more on your mortal wound, your Achilles heel. Sure. Um. Control perfectionism? Was that, was that sort of the the lane you were going down?
0: Yeah. Control and perfectionism. And I think, you know, look, when I say control freak, that makes it sound like I want to control everyone around me. And that's not necessarily it. I think it's just, I really struggle with when I'm in situations and I don't fully know what the outcome can be. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I, I like to be prepared. I like to kind of, have a full view of what I'm getting myself into. Um, you know, and I feel like a, a dating coach would have a field day with this. They're like, that's why you're single. <laughs> you can't control it. But, you know, it's like I I think I I do struggle with that. I like, I'm very independent. And so I think it's it's easy for me to be like, okay, well, you know, this is what I can control today and this is what I can do. And if something's out of my control, I think that's when I get pretty anxious. Right. And so it's about reminding myself, like, you can't control everything. You definitely can't control others. And I'm getting a lot better at that. Obviously, I work for a big corporation where I deal with a lot of people on a regular basis and I can't control what they're doing or saying or thinking like I just can't. And that's okay, Right. Um, so yeah, control is one of them, which is also funny that I chose golf as my sport, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know,
4: yeah, like,
0: okay. But I think that's, that's probably why, right? I chose something that like, there's an unpredictability and I think I need to see the beauty in those unpredictable moments, um, yeah. but control and then, you know, just your classic like daddy issues, things like trust and, you know, things like that. But <laughs> you know, just really, I think the control thing. Yeah. Yeah. And just being, being type A, right. And, and understanding that just because you have certain standards, um, for your life doesn't mean others have those same standards and, Mm -hmm. you know, morals and values and ethics. And, you know, just because you have that doesn't mean others do, and that's okay. Um, and just, you can't control everything. So I try, And through therapy, (laughs) you know, that helped me a lot. Actual real therapy really helped me kind of let go of the feeling of control, let go of harboring emotions that were attached to controlled situations. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I think it kind of goes hand in hand, though, with the trust thing. And just if you if you didn't feel like you had trust in your childhood, uh, then and support then obviously, yeah, you were gonna c- try and control every situation because
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: that was on you. So that was huge in therapy.
2: I want to insert the video of. There's a DJ. It's like that's called motherfucking bars. Everything you just said <laughs> is just bars. Like, what what a brilliant way to reimagine and restructure our societal attachments to the word control freak because that's also yeah, a very 2007 true. 2008 way of describing Holy. someone who has a type a personality mm-hmm. with right. and that and it's a way to punch down like it's mm-hmm. not control freak it's like when things were out of my control mm-hmm. i got very anxious yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah those patterns persisted
4: Mm-hmm. it's it's that's not, just
2: how yeah the yeah. brain rewired
1: itself to exactly to protect right. itself
0: yeah that's cool exactly bars
1: i'm so glad you said that yeah
3: yeah that <laughs> was beautiful
0: oh, thank you well it is protection right like i think totally it's just that like okay i'm it's just me you know it's like i got myself and how am i gonna yeah. cope and protect myself and you know, all those things. And then, Oh my gosh, something out of my control just happened. And how am I going to react to it? Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying every day, right? Like that, like all of us, like, am I perfect by no means? Do I strive for a level of perfectionism? Absolutely. Am I understanding that you are, you know, that the very cliche saying you are perfectly imperfect, but that is true, (laughs) you know, and I will, Learn to love those imperfections more and more and I think the place I'm at today kind of bringing this back full circle to why I even wanted to run the marathon the place I'm at today is I love myself so much more today than I have ever loved myself in my entire life and that is all that matters like that's that's huge for me
2: mic drop Mm, and it was it was dj funk master flex I apologize To everyone who is listening to this podcast right now, because they're in their cars screaming, It's Funk Flex, you idiot. <laughs> Damn it, Brad.
3: Uh, I mean, we're... We'll, we'll edit that out. We'll just yeah, edit that out. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, we're just happy you you shared that with us. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I think, like you said, bringing this full circle, mental health is such a beautiful spectrum, and there has been a very negative stigma or whatever you want to put it on the words mental health because people immediately will think of like you said depression or you know crippling anxiety but for us you know we love talking about how mental health can you know you might just need a tune-up you might just need um, you don't have to be in the deepest darkest place in order to have these conversations so yeah thank you
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for, you know, having an environment and a space like this to be able to be vulnerable and feel comfortable to talk about those things. Because I think there's also freedom in having, you know, a community to, that understands. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes. okay, I'm going to say this right now. And, you know, this group of people, they're going to understand what I mean. And if they don't understand what I mean, they're gonna ask questions, but they're gonna ask it in the right way.
4: Yeah. Yes. I where so. I feel
0: supported and I don't feel like an other. Yeah. Right. I yes. don't feel like I'm I'm alone and you know, or like I'm again, I'm just striving for some attention because I'm throwing out certain terms that seem popular right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, yeah. I think we do see that more and more now too. I think we see certain terms being thrown out there and you're like. I don't know if that, like, that could be detrimental, right? If we're just casually throwing out some terms. Um, yeah. Right, like your favorite
2: golf influencer pushing CBD oil now. Yeah. Like, do you actually use CBD oil or you just
1: got some sponsors? Like, <laughs> did, did they
2: just, just tell you a to sponsor. say that you
1: felt anxious and then you took the CBD right. oil? 100%. <laughs>
0: you, is that real? 100%. <laughs> We could talk resigned. offline
2: about who we're talking about but
0: <laughs> I have a I have a feeling I know I know uh-huh. it I know it but, but also
2: like what, a, know, what it... a, a great preview of what our discord is all about like right. we wanted to create this safe environment to True. just share and be open and not fear the the birthday party syndrome mm-hmm. like right. we really we have your back like we we get you And if we don't get you, we lead with empathy. Yep.
0: Exactly. And
3: curiosity.
0: Right. Right. And ask questions. Right. And that's, that's all it is too. I mean, ask questions and just be genuinely interested. And I think that's all it takes. Right. And so, no, we're not going to understand every little detail of mental health, but we can be open to it and we can educate ourselves. And, you know, we can support each other and support can look like so many different things. But sometimes all it is, is just like, I hear you and I see you. It's as simple Mm -hmm. as that. Mm -hmm. So that's huge for me in my process of (laughs) this mental health journey.
3: Oh, yeah, man. I mean, like uh, saying that you understand mental health, like. Presupposes that you understand the mind, and like I don't know shit about what's going on up there. Nor do we collectively. So nope. let's just are, <laughs> set that straight. We, none of us are mental health professionals. Let's just you know. No, we're experts,
0: and yeah, no.
1: I just and if we were, shame, right? we would be.
0: Yeah, we'd be making a lot more money. We'd be like writing c- c-
1: CBD oil. Yeah, maybe you should do that. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead. We like try it. Next See if it helps. Golf. Yeah. Just
3: CBD
0: legal, (laughs) just legalize it. Just, it'll be fine. It'll be fine.
3: Yeah. Charlotte, where are some of your happy places outside of golf?
0: Okay. So this one is easy for me. It's, and it, it's the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. It's being at the beach. I love being by the beach. I could just sit there watching the waves all day long And it's also being with my dogs and my mom and my sister. And Hmm. that's why I came back home. That's, you know, I needed my happy place. So Hmm. the pandemic, the start of the pandemic was so hard for so many of us. And it still is hard. But I was really grateful that it brought me back to California. And, you know, I'm close. I have two senior dogs. So, you know, who knows their (laughs) days. It's like breaks your heart to think about because we have a 17 year old dog. But to be able to be around her, she's 17. So I grew up with this dog, right? And talk about therapy dogs. She is a therapy dog through and through. She Mm -hmm. really will feel your emotional state. So it's kind of crazy because we were so disconnected for so long. And I think only dog people understand this. But for so long, I wasn't at home, right? I, I left after high school. And I would only come home for the holidays and, you know, weekend trip here and there. But even to this day, if I'm super anxious, she, she will feel that she will feel that anxiety and she will know. And, um, she picks up on it, even if I don't realize that I'm super anxious, you know, cause sometimes mm-hmm. you don't, you don't realize it. You're just like going through the motions and mm-hmm. you're not really like taking a moment to process, but then this dog will just be there. And she, you know, she's looking like she's out of her mind, anxious. And so she'll pick up on it. But, um, yeah, being by the beach with the dogs there is great. Um, I love, I'm like that person. That I love to go out to dinner, you guys. Like, I think eating out is such an experience. Like, I love <laughs> to have a good glass of wine and food. And so that to me is also a happy place. Like, maybe I'm just a mm-hmm. foodie and I just love it. But a good meal can be such a happy place for me, mm. too. Totally. So the beach and a meal and dogs and mom and sister, like, that's it. Uh, that's a few I mean, that's a few what answers.
1: a segue. Yeah, I love that. As you say, during the pandemic, that was like, you know, this is a place of privilege, but not being able to go mm-hmm. out for dinner or out for lunch, that that was right. that was tough. It was tough to not be able to break bread with friends and family and mm-hmm. and, and not yeah. have to wash your own dishes. Like, yeah. So no, I, I feel you.
0: Right. And look, it is. <laughs> and totally. I, I, I know that, like, yeah, that's such a place of privilege. Right. To be like, I love to eat out and like I love to drink wine and and like eat really delicious meals. But I do. And, you know, you have to understand, too, I was living in central Connecticut. So I was going out with friends maybe on the weekends, but like it was not I was cooking for myself all the time. So then I come back to L.A. where we have some of the best, you know, food options all around me. And yeah, I really take joy. in like you said, breaking bread. I think that's that's huge for me. Um, So, yeah, gosh, I just sound like a real privileged woman over here who likes the ocean and <laughs> wine. <laughs>
1: <It> was- <laughs> Connor, I think I know you were going with this one so uh full to to transition what would be your master's dinner or your last meal on earth. What yeah. what's your favorite what are your favorite things to eat?
0: You guys, this is the hardest question. And I I know you guys know this is the hardest question. It's really tough. It's so tough because especially it's tough when you're not picky and you like a lot of things. But let's start here. I'm definitely having champagne, okay? I'm definitely having champagne. And again, we'll just continue with the white woman privilege in that moment, but I'm definitely having champagne and I'm definitely having truffle fries, okay? That is an experience for me. Those two things together are, I'm obsessed. I defy
2: you to, to find someone who doesn't enjoy those two things. I don't give a damn. (laughs)
0: I bet you that person, that person's out there, but they are not invited to my master's dinner. That's it.
2: That's why it's your dinner. Okay.
0: (laughs) They're not invited. Uh, so definitely that. And then look, I love a cacio e pepe. Mm. I love a good creamy pasta. Cause look, I'm not eating that all the time. Like my stomach is not going to be happy if I'm eating that all Mm. the time, Mm -hmm. but a really good homemade pasta, maybe some scallops. Like Mm. I could be into that. I don't eat red meat often, but when I do it's top notch. So we'll probably have, you know, some great red meat there, but i think let's just first and foremost say it's definitely going to include some champagne and truffle fries. That's all i know. That is all i know. Mm,
3: wow. I mean, <laughs> i mean you could serve me 5 courses of champagne and truffle fries and exactly. i would not be disappointed. Yeah.
0: You would not be. No. I'm no. saying. You'd be really happy with it. You would be really really content with that situation.
3: Very full too, Mortal answer. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <So full. laughs> Yeah. The next morning, I don't know how you're going to feel the next morning, but you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And <laughs> champagne right. is, you know, it's an upper. So you do, you are going to feel a little good, right? right? Like yes. the, You're going to feel a little All good right. and it's a celebratory meal.
3: For sure. What are some of your favorite golf
0: smells? Okay. So this one I think brings me right back to early stages of golf and smelling a cigar on the golf course. I love that smell. Mm -hmm. And I not, I don't smoke cigars. I've never smoked a cigar, but there's Mm -hmm. something about smelling a cigar on the golf course that just, I think brings me back to my early days of golf. I really love that smell on the golf course, which is probably so gross to some people, but you know, that sweet kind of rich smell. Mm. I'm kind of into it.
3: I I wouldn't smoke a cigar because it might ruin that smell for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know what? And I have no (laughs) plans. Yeah. I have have no plan. I have no plans of smoking (laughs) one ever, but there is something about that smell. And and now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably, it's just even like a black and mild smell, right? It's probably not even that good (laughs) because if it was at Westlake, if it was at Westlake (laughs) golf course, right? It was probably a black. That's what we were
3: smoking in high school, of (laughs) course. Yeah, <laughs> backwards
0: I'm like not a hot dog smell nothing like that and yeah grass is good you know don't cut don't just cut that part of the podcast me mm-hmm. saying grass is good but you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: good yeah it's good but you know it doesn't yeah there's just the the defining smell for me in golf is a cigar on the golf course I like it that's
3: really interesting was the last
2: time you played around a round of golf is for all y'all uh where you didn't smell a cigar.
3: Like Well, to be fair, I did play today, but it was like full on survival golf. Right. We were the only one's yeah. on the golf yeah. course in the middle of a Bob bomb like. You yeah. were yeah. in the so, eye of a storm, yeah. bro. Like no Ooh, one was no, no one, one was smoking, smoking a cigar. But beyond that, it would have been like a flare, like a survival flare the cigar, but we no, we um yeah. beyond that, no. I I think very very regularly I smell cigar. Uh-huh. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I yeah. like it too. What is
2: your walk up music, you walking up to the first tee at the ESPNW summit, all eyes on you. This Lisa is Leslie's like, word. girl, teach me how to golf. And you're like, oh I got gosh. you, Lisa Leslie. Hold on. Uh, cue music.
0: And here's the thing. You said Lisa Leslie, like my idol, you know, growing up. I wrote every single book report on a Lisa Leslie book. You yes. know, there's like, remember as a kid, there's all Bloody those books out. and that was it. Lisa Leslie is it for me. So thank you for bringing my idol into this nice. Lisa Leslie. And this question is also very difficult for me because I love indie music, you guys. And so like all the songs that I listen to on the regular are definitely not hype up songs. We're not, you know, getting hyped to them, but in
3: we're both depressing. Yeah. As well, I was so. going to
0: say that's the, that's the other thing. I had an ex-boyfriend once tell me, You know, maybe you're depressed because your music is so depressing.
1: And I'm like, that's why he's next. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't think that's it. I don't
0: think that's it. He's next. That's. But here's the thing. So my this is this is an inside secret into my life at home as a grown adult living with her mom and her dogs. But we always try to have a walk up song when we go, when we bring the dogs upstairs, it's always a thing, you know, we have the treats and we always call it a walk up song, right? Uh-huh. And the song of choice is always Twerculator lately. So we are big city girls, <laughs> Twerculator. That's, Stop that's it. So so I'm thinking Twerculator is probably the song, right? Because that is literally my walk up song lately. Wow. And so, yeah. yeah, maybe a little City Girls, that's it. And I think Lisa Leslie would be delighted. delightfully oh, she'd be here for impressed that. with that. She'd yeah.
3: be up for that.
0: But then it's like, I'm not twerking, but yeah. But it
2: like kind know. of makes you want to, yeah. or like make it you makes feel you like you want could. To. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And it right. just, it, right. that is a hype up song. That's a good one. So I it think that's it. It empowers
3: you to twerk should you want mm-hmm. to. Exactly. Should you want to, right. Yeah. The, and it, that's like, what the City, is girls, is percent, City yeah. girls is all about. City Girls
0: is, they're hype up, you know, that's it. Yes. So twerk it is. But then beyond that, we're really listening to a lot of like Girl in Red and Soccer Mommy and, you know, uh, Rye and things like that. So yeah, do those yeah. necessarily aren't my <laughs> hype up songs, but... You know, a lot of James Blake. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like,
2: yes. James Blake does not make me want to twerk. I'm gonna tell you that. But
0: <laughs> not no, yet. no, he makes that, it, makes, he, that makes one of yeah. us. He yeah. makes me yeah. want to <laughs> write a memoir or something. Yeah. <laughs> Connor.
2: <laughs> on the way out, uh, Charlotte, tell us the time on the golf course you have laughed the hardest.
0: So I think and this is you can view this on my Instagram, you guys. But my sister and I, first of all, I'll preface this by saying, I love TikTok. I, I think TikTok is great. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I I love it. I have that might be an unhealthy love. And I understand that. I know that it is unhealthy at times, but you're still in a pandemic,
2: I've, girl. Go off. Yeah.
0: I find yeah. joy in I find joy in watching TikToks at night, right? But and I saw me. this TikTok who needs TV, right? Who needs TV? I'm still reading. So, you know, I'm still keeping my mind fresh and all those good things. But sometimes you just need a little TikTok. And I saw someone post a TikTok and it was high school musical on the golf course, Zac Efron. And it was the song Bet On It. And so my sister was in town this summer. We had Los Robles Golf Course kind of to ourselves a little bit. And I said, we're going to do this. And I am not a dancer by any means. Okay, I've never had good rhythm and I can't seem to hold a beat to save my life my sister can she's always been a dancer and you know it's good sister moment she's a younger sister and so I think I have never I haven't laughed that hard because the reality is, is it was just like a sister fight on a green trying to film this TikTok <laughs> and her yelling at me like keep the beat keep the beat what's going on <laughs> and she's like come on you and even before that as practicing at home, like we had to practice at home and then we got there and I still wasn't getting it and I wasn't nailing it. And she's just like, Oh my gosh, it's not that hard. And, <laughs> and it was high school musical We're, you know, that was, that was our era was high school musical. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was hilarious. And, um, you know, the final product, it turned out it's funny. People are probably like, you are a loser, but I don't care. It was hilarious. The backstory, was good dancing on a green, uh, good times. And and for all those people saying, don't disrespect a green like that, you know, take it easy. But
4: yeah, step <laughs> off.
0: Yeah, take it easy. We're filming a Zach Efron TikTok. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly a, not
4: that serious. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is for the high school musical stands out there. So I think, although that was not necessarily golfing, but we I did play around that day and at the end we had some time. And I thought, you know what, my sister's here. Let's, uh, let's sneak in this little High School Musical TikTok and see how it turns out. And that is how I became a golf babe. It. <laughs>
1: there it is. There it is. Mic drop. <laughs> that's,
0: and that is it. <laughs>
1: well, we need to take some lessons on that. That is uh, that's Brad Connor and my goal. We want to be IG babes at some point. Yeah. 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 I, I we we you know? we long for the male gaze, so we're we're working on that. <laughs>
0: You know, look, I would be remiss if I didn't say I long for it too sometimes. Okay, so I I do as well, uh, but I would like to imagine that there's more depth to me. And so I do struggle with that term Mm -hmm. golf babes. And I struggle with the platform that some of the women have if they are not using it to empower other women. I think that's where it falls, you know. So for me, Mm -hmm. I'm all about lifting other women up. And if you're not doing that, if you are making women feel worse about themselves (laughs) or you're excluding, you know, groups of women who maybe don't look great in a crop top on a golf course, which I would never play golf in a crop top. I will just throw that out there. That would never be comfortable for me, but to each their own. Right. Like, I'm not going to (laughs) say you can't play golf because of that. But, you know, I think that's just what that little community I think mm-hmm. a lot of women right now in the golf community are kind of struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so percent. Yeah, and I will one day. Maybe I'll write a book about it or something. Maybe that's oh, we're my here for calling.
2: <laughs> Co sign. Yeah. We'll write the forward.
0: <laughs> Perfect perfect please please do and just start off like we want the male gaze
3: charlotte thank (laughs) Thank you you so much for coming on to group golf therapy we i know we've been trying to link up for a long time and this was a really really fun and meaningful and deep and challenging chat as they always are but this was this was really great thank you
0: well thank you all for having me this was super enjoyable and like you said it was deep and it was challenging, but it was also fun and lighthearted. And uh, mm-hmm. you guys are stuck with me now. You're my friend. So, of
4: course. You yes. Know. I
0: well, mean, Brad, you well, were my friend. Don't worry. We played golf, we had that beautiful moment. What if Brad <laughs> turns around from all of this and he's like, that was not like, my favorite kind
1: time? Of like, right? Right? <laughs> it, it, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that round. He's like,
0: <laughs> yeah she he, he's like it, she... No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's
0: like uh she wore a crop top yeah okay. she wore a crop top
1: <laughs> and shot
3: 125 best of luck on november 7th yeah big day for you we'll be we'll be rooting you. you on and Absolutely. can't wait to see uh how mm-hmm. it goes
0: yes awesome well Thank you for rooting me on. Check in on me after that. We'll right? send
3: you one of those uh, those group golf therapy branded um, tinfoil blankets that, <laughs> that you can wrap yourself in after. Hey, the...
0: if you want to, you we'll can totally do that. I
3: <laughs> the recovery. I don't blanket. have
0: any spo- I don't have any sponsors for that day <laughs> yet. So you know
1: yet. Yeah, guys, get we'll on get it. Some stickers, GGT. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. Again, Plus, <laughs> yeah exactly. throw the stickers all over New York City. I love it.